Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. We're going live from Midtown, New York. <laughs> I've wanted to do that <laughs> since the beginning. You know, I was thinking about it earlier today. I wanted, like, one of my first episodes, I really wanted to mess with Sam. I know he'd get it. You might get this reference, but I totally wanted to introduce and go, Good morning, Vietnam! <laughs> Just to mess with everybody, I'm Adrian Cronauer. That was like my biggest, I'd say, prior to like listening to Joe Rogan and Gary Vaynerchuk, my two biggest influences and in what I wanted to do, like ever thinking about wanting to do radio was Good Morning Vietnam and uh, what was the Christian Slater uh, movie, um, Pump Up the Volume, Happy Harry Hard On, Talk Hard. Do you remember <laughs> that? You probably remember that, Tim. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen that? No. Oh, man. You're younger than I thought. I'm, a lot, oh, yeah, I'm ashamed of some of the movies <laughs> I haven't seen in my life. <laughs> You're young for a bald guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've been 36 since I was like 23. Oh, that's yeah. funny. <laughs> funny. And I'm, I'm still in my 20s. I just have a 40-year-old body. But uh, yeah, I've wanted to do that for so long. And But I really wanted to mess with you. It was uh, Sam Hemelstein's show. And I knew that both of you would get it. But I got shy. I'm not shy anymore. <laughs> You've never been shy. I've never been shy. I don't know why. I didn't do it. <laughs> Maybe I just forgot. I was excited. That happens more often than anything where I get really pumped and I got so many things going on and I just I got so much to say and then I just forget. I'm like, fuck, I forgot to do that thing. That would have been so much fun. So whatever. It was three months late. It was great. I mean, thank you. Yeah. I might do it. I might it do it. It worked out well. But I like the other thing. Just live <laughs> from Midtown, New York. Like Conan O'Brien. Saturday night. Saturday night. It's Friday <laughs> afternoon. They probably record Friday afternoon. Anyways. Hi, everybody. How you doing? You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox, here with my buddy, Tim Tate. We'll get to him in just a moment. We're going to start with the message of the week. Today, we're taking it back. So I, I saw this uh, a tweet earlier this week, and this lady was asking if you could change one thing, take one thing back, personally or historically, what would it be? And I thought for a second, I'm like, like I'm cool with my own trajectory. I made mistakes, whatever. I own that. I'm, I'm cool with all that. But if there's one thing I could take back... And this makes me think of you that I feel like would really like potentially change the way the world behaves is I would have prevented the untimely death of Bob Marley. That's oh, one wow. of the things I would take back. And so my quote today is by Bob Marley from an interview. I saw this when I was quite young. It was he probably did it in the late 70s. And I'm going to do my best to translate the patois and not. I, I thought about doing it in his in his in his little language, but I, I think I've. Quoted enough people today already. <laughs> Evitated enough people. Um, what did he say? He said, my life is for plenty of people. If my life is just for me, I don't want it. My life is here to help plenty of people. And later on, they, they released, a, his son released a documentary about his life. Not that long ago, just a few years ago. And it, it debuted here in New York in some small theater. My wife and I went to see it. And one of his... His lady friends, Cindy, Cindy Breakspear, <laughs> the Miss, Miss USA or whatever back in the day, one of his baby mamas. She said something in the documentary same, to the same uh, tone that his goal was to do things that he knew were good for himself, but good for the world as well. So like, yeah, sure. He loved music. He loved to smoke weed. He loved to dance. He loved all these things. But he was like, but if everybody does it. If everybody just does it, the world will be a better place for it, you know. Um, and and I think a lot of what you do and what you stand for and represent is the same thing. You have a little bit less hair, a little bit. Yeah. Your your pigment's a little lighter than his. <laughs> that beard though, you got the beard, bro. I'm working on you got it. the Marley beard, <laughs> Rasta. So and it was fun because I, you know, I was I was hired. To, uh, we were just talking about music and my background in music, and uh, in the early days. Um, I was like 16 and I was hired to play for a working reggae band. I was living in uh, Virginia Beach in Norfolk, Virginia at the time. It was like beach lifestyle, you know, that kind of thing played off. And uh, there were a lot of West Indi Indians that moved there because it was work. You know, they could live. Um, but there were like all these like Caribbean themed venues, you know, like just locally owned. I'm not talking about like the, the chains, you yeah. know, just like local places. They put like fake palm trees and paint the, the exterior red, green and gold. And But there was work. But these guys, I don't know, they were a working band. And I don't know how they got a hold of me, but I ended up being their drummer, like the token white dude in the back. That's you know? where it's at. Um, but I learned, I learned a lot then, because at the time I was just like a, a your average 
American consumer kid, you know, like I ate fast food and I watched a bunch of television and I just didn't give a shit about anything, you know, I didn't think about what I put in my body or anything like that. I was always athletic. I enjoyed, you know, accomplishment physically as far as that goes. But those guys were like, they've started to talk about ITAL living and the environment. And that was like the first I'd ever heard of it. You know, this was like early nineties, you know, I was just like, wait, what? We have to take care of the, <laughs> to take care of the planet and our body. Like, damn, I was having so much fun, but it quickly, I quickly adopted it. And like, that was, that was life changing for me. Um, and, and going along, I was, I always hoped to like fold some of that into, uh, what I did for a living. Um, and what's really inspirational is meeting people like yourself and companies like think coffee, uh, that are doing it like, Big time, you know, uh, it's really inspirational. So thank you, Tim. Again, Tim Tate, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, Tim? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so, you know, like I'm not um, a professional chief sustainability officer or he anything just acts like, like that. One. <laughs> you know, um, I, uh, I've worked in food and beverage for most of my life. Um, you know, I started off in, um, as soon as I graduated from high school, I started working in restaurants, you know, as a, a buster, a where'd buster, you, you a server, Seattle, Washington, Washington area. Seattle, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, what, you know, that's, that's like where, that's why you're in coffee. That's where coffee really <laughs> began in the U S as far as, you know, yeah. espresso, um, wasn't really and, much and of a current, thing. Cappuccinos, lattes, like, culture. that's yeah. where things grew from. Um, strangely enough, I didn't get into coffee until I moved to New York. Um, makes sense. Uh, but you know, it's a, it's a coffee's a flexible job. It's great for students. It's great for performers. Uh, that, right. that's what I went to, to college for here in New York I, for, uh, for, for, uh, music and theater. Uh, oh, really? So yeah, you know, where'd I, you go to school? Uh, I went to school at a community college in, in Washington, um, that was pretty well known for their jazz oh, program. I thought you were saying you went to school um, here. And then, yeah, you know, I was doing, um, some theater shows in Washington and I wasn't really getting to the, the place um, like the professional development that I wanted in Washington state. And I got fired from a show that I was doing. Um, and I was like, ah, oh, that's it. I've had it. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to, I'm going to go to a place where they really mess with people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go like do I it. I get fired every day. <laughs> yes. I'm just going to take like continued disappointment, like 30 times a day for, that's you good. Know? That's good for the soul. Yeah. Man. It really Absolutely. like, it really beats some discipline into that's me. That's exactly what, is what it did to me in yeah. New York. Like Definitely. going to school for, um, for theater and for music and then trying to make it professionally in this town, um, like really instilled a, a major sense of work ethic yeah. into me. Um, and you know, I, I worked, I don't know how many hours a day, every day I went to college and you know, for, and did for you go to school here as well? I, I went to, I went to school at the American musical and dramatic Academy on gotcha. the upper West side. And, and when you were, when you were studying in Washington, you said jazz and theater, what were you, was this for vocals or? This yeah. Was? Well, so I, I sort of um, fell in love with jazz, you know, from like sixth grade on, you wow. know, I started, I started, I, started play, I, started <laughs> I was playing, like, my, like, I was in my twenties. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started playing saxophone. I was one of those weird teenagers yeah. who like loved jazz and there are like hardly any of those in the world yeah, really yeah. you know it's right. like jazz is the tiniest idiom of, of music like, really it's like all know? of syracuse new york like yeah i mean like the jazz. biggest jazz stars they have like you know fifty thousand followers yeah. on facebook right. or whatever right. where you know instead of like four billion and like, like sell the like the stars. biggest one sell fifty they hardly make any album. any yeah, money yeah, yeah. yeah like you get into jazz because you love it right and like not because you have like these visions not of grandeur like yeah it's not gonna happen really you know but um but that that's where my love for music really started. Um, you know, go, traveling around to music festivals and you know um, competing in solo competitions and um, and somewhere like around when I was like 15 years old, I did the musical Oliver mm -hmm. um, at a little um, community theater organization in my hometown, um, and I discovered like my next love in music. Um, and I was like, oh, and there's also this thing of you know. Uh, trying to like be a human being on stage and yeah. conveying relationships to people. And like that brings this, you're still being a musician. Um, but then you're bringing this other aspect in as well. And so, um, I, you know, I, I was a really kind of complicated teenager where I, I didn't have like one thing that I love to do. And I, you know, like that's always sort of the way I've been like throughout my trajectory as a that's human. That's great though. You shouldn't have like, that's silly. Just be like, yeah, do this I, one thing. I don't that's know. It. I mean, uh, 
That's like me. I just I, do I one give, thing. I give and... props to people who, yeah, right. Yeah, like you've started more businesses than like anybody I know. Uh, no, like, you know, like I don't know I, that, for a while but... I was calling you like the mayor of Windsor Terrace. Oh, that, that's, but... that's, been, that's been done. That's, you got to come up with a new name. I need yeah, a different, because I'm, right. I'm apolitical. I'm not into politics at no, all. No, you don't seem like a mayor at no, all. No, I want to uh, be more like, like a benevolent, like mob leader, you know, like the capital of a family. But like, you're not scary enough. We give though. out hugs. Like, exactly. Work on that. No, yeah. like different. It's like, no, we're not going to fuck you up. We're just, we're, we'll work this out. Yeah. You know, you, your kneecaps are safe, but, kill you like, with love. but don't mess with me, man. Yeah. But I mean, I guess like uh, that, that's sort of how, how I've always been um, is like, you know, I have a lot of different things that I love to do. You know, I, I love, I, you know, I love sports. I love music. I love theater. I, lo- I, you know, I love food. I love drinks. It's like, and these are kind of all things that I've sort of, you know, pursued in one way or another yeah. throughout my life. And like, you know, maybe, you know, some people say, um, master of none or something right. because you're, you're doing all yeah. these things, you know? Um, but I subscribe what, to that. what I hope is that, you know, um, having all these different interests and, um, following them professionally really kind of adds up to something special. Yeah. I, I have a, a an old boss and mentor who I still, and I worked for this guy when I was like 17. Um, and and he's he's been very successful. He's he's now franchised his his restaurants and he's opened in multiple states and um he's he's a really heavy dude. And you know, but he started young. He opened his first restaurant at like twenty three or twenty four. You know, I was almost forty. Yeah, open mine. You know, well, forty is more the regular. Right, you know, like, but I I talk to him often and and he's like he said to me he's like you're gonna peak at like fifty because you're just into so many things. And he's like, you're really good at all of them. It just takes you more time because you're constantly working on and folding in new skills. He's like, but that it's just going to be a longer, you know, a longer wait before sure. you hit. But he's like, when you do, it's going to be full and there's no, you don't need to eliminate anything. Cause I would call him and be like, Oh my God, like when, when am I going to like settle down? And he's like, you're not yeah. just like, do it. Just be you boo. You know yeah, what I'm saying? There's That's a lot it. to so, that. I think, you know, like I have a lot of ton of respect for people who do choose like that one thing that they want to right. be truly great at and then Just follow that with for it. their yeah. whole life. Right. You know, like I have a lot of respect for that person, you know, cause that's not something I've ever been able to no, do. It's not inherently me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so like those people, man, you know, I got, I got a lot yeah. of love for those people. Like my brother is that kind of person, you know, he's uh-huh. worked for the same company for, right. you know, 20 years now. And he's really like grown to be like one of the big leaders, you know? Great. And so good yeah. for him. Knock that's it awesome. Yeah. You know? No, you have to be yourself. It's self-awareness is a really big part of it. And I, once I finally came to terms with that, cause it was the same for me. Like I, when I was, you know, 17 years old, I was running a restaurant and I was running a band at the same time. And ultimately it led to me dropping out of high school. Cause I would get home at like two o'clock in the morning all the time. <laughs> and I was having fun. Yeah. School, I was, I was not a good student. You know, I, I did fine. Like I tested really well. I knew the material. It was like, this sucks. I'm making cash over mm-hmm. here, you know, and this is what I want to do. Um, and I, I was, I've been torn between those two specifically for, for decades, you know, where I was like, I'm going to be a musician now. And then I'm like, no, I'm sick of that. I'm going to be a restaurant guy now. And I'm like, oh, I'm sick of that. I'm going to go back and sure. And now I'm working on this fusion of all of it, you know, uh, in a way where there's still separate businesses, but I've found ways to, it's just taken a long time, but I love this about the show though, where like I have guests on that I know really well. And like, I never, you, I've known you for years and I yeah. had no idea you had a music background. <laughs> yeah. I never it's talked funny. about it. It's yeah. weird. I no, it's awesome. It's like this thing that I have in the back corner you yeah. know, that I don't talk about very often. I don't know because like sometimes I feel like in, in the business community, like you bring up like, like theater acting, <laughs> you know, like music, like somehow it for some reason, you. like artistic, <laughs> uh, artistic pursuits sometimes don't add up to yeah. much in the perception of the business world. For They're some like, reason. you're not a serious business person. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think people a lot of times realize like what can goes into I, becoming like a it, solid, um, art artist and the contribution kind. it makes to you absolutely as a, as a business minded person. It's, yeah. It's tremendous. Cool. Well, we'll elaborate on that a little bit more. We're going to take a little short break. You're listening to, Entrepreneurial Web. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. And we're back once again. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Lev, broadcasting live from Hell's Kitchen, New York City, here with my, my main man, Tim Tate. So I was just trying to recall how we met, actually, because I was talking about all this time I've known you. I didn't know you were in music. But yeah, did we so first meet with Ramin? We did, yeah. So um, Ramin, you know money. what? The Intelligency this, Coffee. I'll tell a long. Guru. Yeah, yeah. Ramin. Yeah, was yeah. with Intelligency Coffee forever. Yeah. Um, now, now he's with a co-roasting um, company right. in Brooklyn. Ramin's an amazing guy. And, and Matt's there um, now too. I think. Matt, right? Yeah, Matt Avedisian is also yeah. there. These awesome guys that yeah. I got to work with pretty regularly. So Ramin, um, ten years ago when I was working on coffee trucks, uh, coffee ice cream trucks with Van Leeuwen, um, Van Leeuwen Ice Cream in mm-hmm. Brooklyn, um, has had like this meteoric rise kind of at the top of the ice cream game. Yeah. Um, I believe I was their first employee, or at least, oh, really? at, at least uh, operationally-wise. Um, you know? So mysterious. Um, and I, I interviewed <laughs> with the Van Leeuwens in their Greenpoint kitchen, um, in, <laughs> in their apartment, um, bef- before they were even really like, making their own ice yeah. cream, you know, kind of at the formation of that company. And so I worked for them for a few years, and you know, we grew from one to six trucks during that time. And I was um, you know, managing those six trucks, which is sort of like managing six stores mm-hmm. with wheels that break down right. all the time and run out of product and like 40 employees <laughs> from like 6 a.m. to like 2 a.m. every day kind of thing. Brick and mortar thinks uh, they have problems, Br- right? Yeah, yeah I mean, like wheels, people think man. that people, sometimes people are like, oh, we should start a, a, a truck. It'll be so much easier than an actual brick and mortar, but it's actually a lot harder, I would say. Yeah, no, um, my, my, my places have never rolled away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're, I always, mean, they're always where I left them. Yeah, I mean, you have to worry about like the, you know, business owners who don't want you there the city who doesn't yeah, want yeah, you there yeah. like you know 80s postal service trucks that are like breaking down every day and like, right, right like these are like the kind of things that i learned to troubleshoot sort of like oh, th- gotta, through working with that company i gotta try this um, yeah <laughs> I, I, yeah I, and i also learned that i don't think i necessarily want to start a, a food truck of any kind cool. at least in new york you know maybe like a stationary one who that right. lives in one place right. all the time and is like sponsored by a building or something right. like what, that there's that that like uh taco place in um fort green you know what I'm talking uh, yes, about and yes. It's just like I know all, exactly what you're talking. Like, There's one in Williamsburg also right, that right. does something similar. A backyard, right. a food truck that's stationed mm-hmm. there. Like yep. that's a good idea, right. you know, because that's just a kitchen, right. you know. And then you have a little and seating area around there. It's like there. a destination. It thing. does. It yeah, adds yeah. something nice right. and yeah. interesting to your establishment, you know. Um, but uh, so uh, yeah, I, I you know I learned a lot about business through doing that. Like that was kind of one of my and that was really one of my first coffee experiences in mm-hmm. New York as well, you know. So Ramin was the first guy who ever trained me on espresso like how Were to they prepare do espresso drinks yeah, yeah yeah so that was the thing with the ice cream trucks like they were killing it during the summer just like lines around yeah. the block um, very innovative way to design a food truck, like a really beautiful thing that people just loved and wanted to go to. Of course, the ice cream was great 
as well. Like, yeah, it was fantastic. awesome. But it was that visual element that, that really drew people in. And, you know, like warm, it was really warm, yellow, butter, butter, yellow colors and like illustrations on the menu right. board. Yeah. And it was, they were one of the first companies to ever make like a beautiful food truck. And that was, that was really what grew that business right out of the gate, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but during the winter, the fall, winter, spring, it's like, you know, people eat a lot of ice cream, but at home. Yeah. You know, like ice cream sales go January. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this ice cream sales go through the roof, like in the grocery stores. Yeah. Um, But in trucks, it's like, no, people aren't going to wait for ice cream. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they brought like really nice um, coffee setups onto three of the trucks. And, um, you know, we were driving like I was stationed a lot of the time at around 23rd Street and 6th Avenue. Um, And uh, like this experience, my first kind of barista everyday barista experience in New York, um, really kind of like, I think that I've always been a positive person for them for the most part. Um, working in that spot introduced me to like some of my best friends now today, Mm -hmm. some of the best mentors that I have were introduced from that. You know, that was kind of like the start of my, my growth as a person in the food industry started like on that corner. Nice. Um, and so I feel like that was like a very important thing to me. Like if Van Loons are ever watching this, thank you. Um, uh, I'll send it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) I mean, but that, that was very important to me, you know, like I learned that inherently the vast majority of people out there are really great people. Um, and that's an interesting discovery. It is on a corner in Manhattan. You know, like a lot of people, (laughs) I think they call that a good finder. That's being a good finder. You know, like that, that experience like made me find like, it's, I think there's a lot of people who haven't worked in customer service, right? Like most a lot of people that should, there's a lot of people that should absolutely. (laughs) And, and this is why, like, uh, you know, for the good of customer people that are currently in customer service. Yes. Also for the good of those people to improve their outlook Mm -hmm. on humanity. Um, you know, like the vast majority of people are, are want to want to have connection, want to be good to other people. You know, like you don't realize that sometimes when you're just like surrounded by millions of people and you're, you're just like shoving your way through crowds and right. whatnot. But like when you have like a connection point with it's like, wow, I've talked to like a hundred amazing people today and like maybe one person's been shitty to me or something, you know, it's like, that's wonderful odds. Yeah. And I know? think what that, what that scenario creates is the opportunity for service. And it's like what people really want is just to feel good. Yeah. You know, they, and they get that a lot through connection, but if there's just like one little thing you can do, and that's been the cornerstone of everything that, that we've done in Woodsor Terrace, it's just like, no matter what, when you leave here, I just want you to feel better than you walked in. Like, I want you to feel good, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever we have to do to accomplish that. And when you do that, it could change because people definitely come in like not so happy. And it's like, Sometimes it doesn't take much to, Sometimes to change take someone's much at all. day. Yeah, yeah. And you just have to let, like, whatever, you know. I, the mentor I was telling you about, one of the things he used to stress, and I was young, and it was great getting this message young, was like, leave your emotions at the door. Check your bags at the door. When you come in here, it's not about you. Like, it's not, you, you're not in here to fight with your coworkers and, and come in and posture and be like, this is my, it, that's not what it's about. It's about teamwork, and it's about making the other you know the person the receiver happy you know absolutely i mean that's hard and he ran a good shit but like, he, it was he was effective at that's it. It really like, good advice yeah. i mean that's it, that's difficult to do though it's very too. difficult to do you know especially if like you're a sensitive person right and, it doesn't work for know, everybody but yeah. i think if if you teach people young the odds of them being an adult that behaves that way is much better for sure like i mean i'm still lear- learning oh, to, you all, to work you always this do. way yeah you, know, <laughs> you always like, have to work on it it's yeah. it's hard you know you you run into so many um, things that happen to you every day yeah, yeah. that you don't, you never know what's around the corner. Yeah. No, it's and a, it's a muscle. You have to, it is. And to, to yeah. It. And to like take that, like whatever happens to you, whether mm-hmm. good or bad and just like internalize it and like, let it go. And, um, you know, not change the way that, that you're acting towards people. Like yeah. that's difficult, you know, yep. but that's great advice for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know where we're going with this. But Meeting Ramin and then oh, how he connected. Yeah, so we met um, through... So I have kind of this long story. So 10, ten years ago at that time at Van Leeuwen, um, I had an idea for a business. And that was sort of like 
the first moment when I was like, oh, I want, I feel this want and need to start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was a great idea at the time. I still kind of think it's a good idea, but, um, you know, I wrote a business plan. I started pitching it to people. I didn't know anything about writing a business plan. I didn't know anything about I, trying I to pitch don't. it to people. <laughs> I don't know how people raise millions of dollars for their businesses. Like it's, inc- it's incredible Just skill. Be a, be you a know? nice guy. Yeah. Just ask and ask nicely. Well, asking is important actually. And sometimes it's hard to ask, yeah. you know, um, and that, so that actually is very simple advice, but probably like amazing advice, but you ask, ask nicely and then also have like a ton of data and, um, you know, really clear plans laid <laughs> I've out, never used you data. know, like I know, well, like these are like, I don't. Yeah, data. Data. I, I use haven't it now, but like it's, at the beginning, oh my god, it's something that's that's super important to people who are in those positions yeah, yeah, to like sure. actually come in and help out, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but so like at at that point, I um, you know the the business idea that I had um, had to do with the bar industry. Yeah. Um, and I had never worked in the bar industry. You know, I had worked at places that had bars, mm. never worked behind the bar, um, didn't know very much about spirits. And so, um, you know, I, I, one of my customers at the time, um, was a brand ambassador for Plymouth gin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's this amazing guy. Um, like I, I always loved serving him, having him in the shop, um, you know, by the truck in the shop. Um, and you know, I was like, I'm really interested in bartending. Do you think there that you could like give me some advice on, um, you know, how I might sort of get my foot in the door in that community. Um, and he just because of what his position was knew like the whole industry, like the whole New York bar world. Um, and he knew some of the best in the business and, and, um, him and his wife, Georgia got me an interview at Saxon and parole, um, Mm -hmm. on Bowery, which at the time like was, it still is a, a really great establishment. Yeah. Like they have one, the, one of the best cocktail bars, like, you know, they've won some accolades for that. Um, and then ghost donkey, which is p- part of that business, yeah. just won like bar of the, of yep. the year and imbibe magazine. And, um, you know, and then my, uh, basically I, I interviewed with Lyndon pride, who was the general manager at that time. And I was like, Hey, um, I'm Tim, I'm really into coffee. I have been for a while, um, but I, I really want to learn about the bar industry. I'd be happy to like make coffee for you for a while. Um, you know, if you promise to like move me into the bar eventually. Um, and so I started out as a barista during brunches, um, and the, the coffee station is directly next to the service station for the bar. Yeah. Um, so I started to get to know the bartenders, started to ask them, Hey, what, what are those drinks you're putting in out, out there? You know? And, and the bartenders, they're really knowledgeable, like super knowledgeable. Naren Young at the time was the um, bar director there. Um, Naren's like legendary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you're and, in good company. Yeah, very much so. Um, and so, you know, I was like, uh, I sat down with Naren after a while. I was like, look, I've been making coffee for a while. Um, Naren has like a very in-depth training program. Um, he yeah. brings in like, like world-class, um, mixologists, um, you know, pe- people who make the spirits, historians, um, Crazy Bart. Did you, did you ever meet David Wandridge? I have met David oh, Wandridge. Yeah, I love his a book. number of times. And yeah. is so good. I like Punch too, but Imbibe. Oh yeah, no, Imbibe Punch is awesome too. Life. Yeah, it's Punch great. is really, really, but really Imbibe good. But Imbibe literally changed my yeah, life. Yeah, he's a great, great writer and <laughs> yeah, yeah. and just a, a wonderful human too. Cool. Um, but yeah, so like I was like, all right, I'm ready to start learning more about um the bar, and so he brought me on as a bar back. Um, and you know, I worked really hard as a bar back, like crazy hard. I went to all the trainings and, um, and then I had a chance to move over to the daily, um, on Elizabeth street when they opened that. So I opened up this new awesome cocktail bar that was really kind of like rock and roll. And it was the same fun, same, same company, same owners attached yeah. to public restaurant. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, which was that company's sort of like breakout restaurant that made them famous Africa. Um, and, uh, and so I, yeah, I got to, I got to know the bar industry. I got to know how to make great drinks. I got to know how to provide even better hospitality to people because of that. Yeah. Um, and you know, these things are always, always lead one thing to the next. Um, and you know, I didn't end up raising the money that I needed for that business. Um, I didn't end up starting that business, but, um, I did end up starting a little coffee roasting business that I called Parkside Coffee Roasters. Um, and I ended up selling coffee to, you know, some of this community that, that I had gained. The Windsor Terrace Food Co-op. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the Windsor Terrace Food Co-op. That's right. And the Prospector. Um, yeah, and you know, and like, and some restaurants around, like really yeah. quality spots around Manhattan. But you know, I was doing it. I was doing that business sort of like on the down low because to start a roasting business in New York can be like very capital intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to meet the city's requirements, the health department's requirements. It's like you need a lot of dough. Yeah. Um, I, and I didn't have it, so I was like, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it like on the on the DL. Um, and I was doing it with borrowed space. You know, I was working out of the corner of a wood shop. I was roasting coffee. And then I was packaging it in the basement of a coffee shop. And then I lost both of the spaces like simultaneously. And I was like, all right, I'm done with this. Um, like, let's at least like take a break. Maybe maybe I'll come back to it at some point. Um, and I had a chance to start doing tech work on coffee equipment. And that's how we met. Right. So me and my buddy started, you know, I, I had a, a chance to join my friend Trevor's repair company um, as a partner. And so um, that's how we met was I was repairing your coffee machinery I feel like it was at Fox in the Crate. Though. We perhaps met just like walking around the neighborhood. Um, but I feel like that's the first time like in any like real capacity we started right. to have like right. exchanges, you know. Well, speaking of break, yeah, we're going to take another one. Let's What's up, it. Adam Wapniak? I see you there. How you doing, brother? All right. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. back you're listening to the entrepreneurial web i'm your host jeremiah fox here with my my buddy tim tate my coffee supplier my he's got to keeps the smile on my face <laughs> what's up elizabetha it's funny we were just talking about elizabetha maybe you can share and shed some light on this we were talking about italian establishments in new york city who have access to some of the most amazing coffee in the world but they use illy and lavazza <laughs> like pre-ground why <laughs> why why the you have to, I'm sure it's nostalgia or something. I don't know. Elizabeth, we would love to hear from you. So I could get in trouble for this conversation, probably. It's all right. <laughs> well, we can take them out. I choked them out. And Elizabeth, she got my back. We trained jujitsu together. She's wicked. She's dangerous. So we were talking about how we met, but also like your beginning, your, your pursuit of your own endeavors and dreams, the entrepreneurial dream. <laughs> um, you wrote a business plan for something involved in wine and in spirits, not having a spirits background, ballsy. Right. You go to a dude with a really like dope place and training program and you offer your services, not for free, but you're like, you know, 
I'll start at the bottom. I'll make coffee. You teach me the bar. I'll be a bar back. I'll work hard, which is very, that's like, that's old school. That's like apprentice style. And that's a great way to do it for those of you out there listening who are like, I don't know how to get started. Like, start small. Don't be like, I love these guys that are like, I'm going to make a million dollars by the end of the year. And I'm like, what are you doing right now? And they're like, I'm looking for work. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I host a podcast. Um, Like, yeah, okay. Start, you know, start reasonably. Start small. Don't be greedy. And know that there's a process. And so you adopted that. Your business, your original business plan didn't work out. You needed funding. You need money. You need money. A little bit. Um, not always. Startups don't need money. <laughs> Startups only need like $300 million they, or something like some that anymore. Some of them, they're just like, I have a great idea. And it's like, you don't, you don't pay rent. You don't look, what do you do? I you guess, know? yeah. I guess it really depends what kind of startup you're yeah. talking. Um, we'll talk about, we'll talk about startups in a little bit. I want to talk about, uh, Adam's, Adam's thing. The, oh uh, yeah. Deliver Zero. Yeah. Um, trying to get him on. He's shy. <laughs> um, Anyway, so I'm kind of shy too. You got me you're on that shy. You're a performer. Oh, you're, you know, you like sometimes if you, you if if people are performers, like don't think that they're not shy. No, they, but they're they could turn it on. Maybe turn it on. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, you you're restrained, but I get sense in you. There's an inner tiger. Uh, <laughs> a very quiet tiger. Yeah, <laughs> very quiet but tiger. watch out. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> He's gonna hug you to death. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we the hug gangsters. <laughs> so, um, so your next move was a coffee roaster. You were you were in a shared space, a wood shop, precisely um, roasting coffee, packaging elsewhere, all off site. You lost those two spots, and then you you working in another project that was more or less like freelance. Uh, technical re- support for yeah for some major coffee companies right. around town. Like um, Intelligentsia was one of your biggest. Yeah, Intelli was one of our biggest. We also did a lot of work for Illy Cafe, mm-hmm. um, and you know a, a lot of the major roasters around New York. And Intelligentsia was really like one of the first. They kind of led the way in terms of the uh, direct trade. Uh, working with farmers, coffee farmers, and tr- attempting to raise the quality of life and not going through the usual channels of supply. Yeah. Um, and just it, delivering like a really, really awesome product starting in like the 90s, right? Yep, definitely. They're one of, definitely were one of the like forefront yeah. of that change in coffee. Like the direct trade movement yeah. was, was definitely, and, they were one of the first companies. Stumptown is one of the first companies right. as well, right around the same time frame. And all, but Intelligentsia also had a really, a really big emphasis on training people making the coffee to represent it too so it was like the thing was survivable it's like we're doing this on this side but like we need you as our soldiers to represent it the right way because if it tastes bad nobody cares <laughs> you know nobody's gonna buy a, a bad product just because it uh it, it's like good for the world so they they attacked it on both fronts and for me like i'd always been into coffee i grew up working in restaurants so it was always a component i was trying to think back to like the first real machine i worked on and you get a kick out of this this was this was like late nineties when I was living in Rochester at this, it was an Italian place. It was great. It was in an old Victorian home essentially. And this guy, like the ground floor was the restaurant and he lived upstairs and he was from Naples and just total like egomaniac. But this thing looked like the, the starship landed in the kitchen. You know, it was like one of those super duper fully automatic machines from the nineties, but uh-huh. it never, like all the components didn't work it just all, broke the it all the time. So yeah. it was just like, they get it fixed and it would break. So like this, the <laughs> milk froth that you were supposed to just super fix. automatic machines yeah. are known for that. So yeah. I learned to be resilient and like negotiate. The, I mean, the thing was huge, you know, it looked like the first computer, you know, and like all these <laughs> buttons and stuff. But like at the end of the day, you just had to work yourself and like pull your own shot and froth your own milk. So, I learned to be to be resourceful as far as coffee goes. But then when I, I was like, okay, I really want a good machine at home. One, because coffee was getting very expensive, you know, and I was just like, it doesn't make sense to give all this money away. But I just drink a lot of it and I just want it right there. And just like with everything, I want to learn what's going on behind it. So when I got my first Ranchilio, uh, Silvia, Silva, what is it? Sil- Silvia. Silvia, yeah. yeah. The, the guy I was watching like uh, YouTube clips of at the time and everything was only using intelligence of coffee. And he was like, this is the stuff, you know, and this was like around 2000, 2001. And that was my first like introduction to them. So I kind of chased it. I got the machine and everything. And then like, boom, right after that, Ramin used to work at the tea lounge with my buddy, um, Kirk Shanehur. He was, he's a guitar player that, uh, that I worked with a lot. 
um, Kirk was working at the tent, the uh, the Seventh Ave and Tenth Street, the original T Lounge location. Jo- Josh, and, uh, yeah. What's Josh's last name? I can't Big, remember, yeah, but from yeah. Southside, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were all like, I I was playing with Kirk at the time, and he's like, you got to meet this guy Ramin. So I meet him, and then Ramin walks into the wine store, and I'm like, oh, whoa! And he's like, oh, I live right here. So this is all like Windsor Terrace, super small towny Brooklyn vibe going on here. And then Josh and Ramin opened Southside on 6th and 20th, 19th, 19th, whatever. And I used to hang out there a lot. And Ramin was like, oh yeah, I used a Sylvia to like test all my products and and figure stuff out. And like at that point, he really like took over the the Intelligentsia lab uh, in Soho or whatever. Yeah, Ramin's great. Yeah. And uh, and then Josh worked with Steeplechase. Oh, happen to have a steeplechase shirt on I like so it. and i know lynn and keith pretty well and when they were first like they don't even think they were open yet and i was like coming around and josh was there and we, we like kind of reconnected it's funny because they he was showing them some stuff and i was just there we were talking and everything and i said something about triple ristrettos and they were like what's that and he's like shh just <laughs> don't bother yourself with that don't listen <laughs> to that guy he's 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 not he's not right um <laughs> so that was kind of like how i got started in coffee and then connecting with Ramin. And then that relationship blossomed. We just, even once he moved to Bay Ridge, we like stayed in contact. And, and I just like always had this fantasy of opening a coffee shop using Intelligentsia because, so it was great when we finally did. And I got the big monster Ranchilio, which was not my favorite machine, but it was, it was reason, very reasonably priced. Right. And he got me a great deal. And yeah. It, I mean, you can spend 30 grand on an espresso machine right. if you want. Well, you know, now I fantasize yeah. about those, uh, the, uh, Arduinos, the, uh, you know, it's got the, the scale in the, oh, yeah. in the thing and you it's can very ta- advanced you can machinery time going the, on. the angel share. So it cuts off, it cuts the pump. Yeah, You can but, just decide oh, exactly how you want your shot to yeah. be and, and it will in real time, yeah. you know, make adjustments. Those things are amazing. And those grinders too, they have like the, the heated chamber. Yeah. And like I'm just like, oh my god! But yeah, what's what's that investment just Fancy for the grinder and the fun. machine? What grinders is that? are like four grand. Those kind of grinders are about four thousand or oh, so. I thought they were more than that. Um, I mean, there's drip coffee machines now that are like over six grand too. But that that Arduino grinder that that like heats the the yeah, birth. I think that's like a four thousand dollar price point. I on it was that more one. than that. Yeah, oh, we have one and, and for those, our events. And set those, up. right, you got that white one. Yeah, it's like really dope. And yeah. then the the like a a two a two group. Or three group machine like that is like yeah, we use Sinesa's for, yeah for, for our those aren't cheap either but those no, are they're like sixteen or so yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. you're talking about like solid twenty grand yeah, just for, for two pieces, pieces of equipment, equipment. <laughs> yeah I saw go ahead what were you gonna say well yeah I mean it's if that's what your business uh, you're if you're depending on coffee for the majority of yeah. your business like you know that that's not that much money if if you think oh. of uh, in, I mean in, in the scheme of things I yeah. would say if for a guy like me yeah it's a lot of money. But, you know, in traditional investing in like a a business for the meat and potatoes of it. Right. That's not much. No, I spent spent quadruple that for Della. Right. Yeah. But um, just like buying machines myself, you know, I'm just like, wow. Sure. That's way. Yeah. No, it's a lot to stomach if if you're. But it it does come down to the consistency, too. Like I was talking about, like how intelligent you put so much into it, like the the equipment too. Yeah. I mean, espresso, it's it's a finicky finicky product. It's alive. (laughs) A lot of people don't realize that. They think that you just put the coffee in the machine and it's going to be the same. It changes on the hour sometimes, right? Yeah. You need a very detail oriented person and somebody who understands flavor and how to make adjustments and is willing to check back in on the product over and over again and you know make make a change every time they need to not necessarily just time-based but um you know just a person who understands food and drink and balance you know like balance is the most important thing to coffee to me but cocktails are the same cocktails exactly the same so a lot of parallels like what you like you i started more i was doing more coffee um and definitely like working on kitchens but also service as well like sir uh working as a as a waiter and um and when i bumped up to bartending i just literally was like it's just like a coffee drink you just it's different ingredients you know um and and it applied really well yeah um and same thing someone just gave me a chance they, i remember this guy was i was making coffee at this restaurant in tribeca and he was like you'd be a really good bartender and i was like mhm <laughs> yeah like why don't you give me a try and then like one day the bartender didn't show up for lunch and people were ordering like martinis and shit and i was just like everybody's like what are you gonna do i was like i got this yeah and 
It was fine. And, and after you that, have like like sweetness. I was a bartender. Body. Yeah, yeah. It's the same. Acidity. It's the same. Strength. I love the coffee. Like, the cuppings. Those are all the same. I love the cuppings because they're yeah. it's like wine notes. They're like oh notes of apricot and it's like yeah. I mean, um, I I got something called a, a Q grader um, certification, and that's what it's all about, oh. you know. And like what that. So you're like the coffee sommelier. It's it's similar, you Whoa. know. Like the the reason that that was developed is you know it's by the uh, Coffee Quality Institute right, CQI, right. and and what they are for they're nonprofit that tries to raise the quality of green coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, And so basically, like, if a farm um, in South America or wherever um, decides that, hey, we're not producing the kind of coffee that we need to to be able to make the kind of wages that we need to for our farmers, um, then we can send our coffee to CQI. Um, CQI is going to send out that coffee to four Q graders, and then um, we're going to... We're going to um, roast and and cup that coffee, and we're going to um, assign it a, a grade, um, and we're going to tell this farm what kind of defects that coffee has, what kind of score that's going to get, which means what kind of p- price they're going to get paid. And then, you know, based on that feedback, um, we can also send a representative to that farm um, and and give advice on how they can change their farming mm-hmm. practices in order to, to help raise the to wages the, that they right. can raise um, from their coffee. So it's a, it's a pretty important thing, you know, like, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous to hear someone talking about like all these minute grapefruit, plum, um, tangerine and, pith. Yeah. You know, like the, like this is how people talk about right. coffee when they're cupping it, you know, and to a lot of people, that's just like ridiculous, but it does come from a great important place, yeah. you know? No, your job is so much more serious yeah. than I really thought. Uh, it's it's just coffee too <laughs> at, at the same time yeah well let's let's take one more quick break because i want to elaborate on what you got going on now like some of the initiatives and that that yeah. was one of them and really great insight that's awesome and we'll talk more in depth about that so we're going to take one more last break we'll be back in just a few you're listening to the entrepreneurial web talking alternative radio 24 hours a day I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Welcome back, everybody. Last round. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. We're going to finish strong here. So my boy Tim Tate was talking about uh, currently what he's working on. We heard a little bit of his history and his hustle in the coffee and the beverage industry. Um, But he's been working on quality assurance for coffee. He's basically a coffee sommelier. You have certification. You can determine whether a coffee tastes like grapefruit or tangerine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and don't argue with him or he'll hug you <laughs> real hard. Um, and, and you're now you're currently at Think Coffee. Yes. Which is which has got this really great mission and track record of uh, working with the farmers and the villages, improving their quality of life, like directly involved with that, but also helping to make sure they're getting best price for their quality and that uh, for the best price for their coffee and that the quality of the coffee is like world class working with farming practices 
building schools and it, there's it's a real real solid uh initiative coming out of this company who just started as like a single coffee shop in Williamsburg, right? It was like a little, just like a little coffee shop. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so Jason share was the, is the CEO of think coffee. Um, and he was an attorney in the nineties, um, working down at the, in the financial district and just kind of hated it. He didn't like that. He didn't like it that much. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, he decided to start a to, cream to torture himself further. So he <laughs> opened a coffee shop. Yeah. Well, he decided to start a cream cheese business. All oh, right. You told um, me it was called, it was called Jason's that. cream cheese. He was trying to be like the Ben and Jerry's of, of cream name. cheese business. Great name. Um, cream and so cheese. he, you know, he had a walk-in in Williamsburg in his apartment um, and <laughs> he was making deliveries before he went to work as an attorney. Um, and the department of agriculture loved that. I'm sure they, they did. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that business didn't work out, but I think he met a lot of people in the coffee industry through that. Um, and he decided to try his hand. Um, mm-hmm. So he opened a little coffee shop called Verb um, in Williamsburg. And, and for a number of years that was open. And then I think his rent jumped like 10 times or something like that sounds familiar um yeah and and that was roughly 15 years ago or so and he decided to to start think um near nyu on mercer street that's still our 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 biggest busiest location um and uh, you know like the business was thought was um started (laughs) with the thought of like think about where your coffee comes from kind of thing you know um and like the business started as a fair trade coffee company um but through having meetings with fair trade in the basement at mercer street um we decided well i wasn't with the company at the time but um basically decided that fair trade wasn't doing sort of what it set out to do um and so sometimes we take issues with with certifications Mm -hmm. um because a lot of times people will see a little sticker on a bag um and say i'm gonna buy that because that's a fair thing and i don't i don't mean to pick fights with fair trade usa or fair trade international um i do think that 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 organization was started with the best of intentions um and i do think that it did some really important things to help um change people's um goals and like um you know address important issues and it was really the beginning of right. people trying to do the right thing um from the sourcing aspect of coffee coffee industry uh, for hundreds of years has taken advantage of people at origin mm-hmm. you know the invisible people that pick the product and process it um and that side of the coffee industry is very foreign to most people right um and is never seen and most people just see coffee on a shelf and it's coffee you know but that's it's it's grown on bushes it's it's a cherry it's a fruit um you know and there's a massive amount of work that goes into process, it right? to, to yeah. get that product even to the u.s before it is roasted goes into your fancy little cup i mean there's some like coffee is like it's very complex and there are so there's so many stages that happen before you get to drink it or before it even gets roasted right um and so you know we we decided to start buying directly we decided to start being an importing company um about 10 years ago and um we felt like yeah so we started paying twice as much as fair trade to farmers um Mm -hmm. which is great you know like fair trade the price of fair trade i believe hovers around a dollar and 40 um cents per green pound of coffee and um that's not a ton of money um it's designed to help when the price of coffee crashes right um and it's the price of coffee has crashed recently um and so most people um in the world who pick who grow coffee there's like five million small farmers in the world for coffee and um most of those people have to pay about a dollar per pound to produce that coffee. Um, and so the price of coffee on the commodity market right now is right around that price. Uh, so you're basically like, if you're lucky breaking even, most likely losing money. Yeah. And that's most from of the, the people. From the farmer's perspective. From the par- yeah. farmer's perspective. And that's the farmer, you know, not even right. the people who work for the farmer. So if you think that like, hey, this farmer is like either breaking even or losing money, then you have to think about what does that mean for the people who are working right. for that farmer? Um, and so that's where I think that fair trade, direct trade, maybe like misses a beat. It's, they need to evolve. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, like... Like I said, I mean, everything's a progression. Like, Mm. yeah, exactly what you're saying right now. Like we like as as a business, as a person, as a humankind, like we need to evolve in order to, you know, stay alive. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that, and that's what needs to happen in business, whether you're in coffee or in it, any kind of yeah. business, like yeah. you can't just be like, this is how, this, this is, is how, how we do it. Works. That's it. Yeah. Like this has always worked for us. That's like, death, that's no, a death warrant. Like, you can't think that way at <laughs> yeah. all. Um, and so that, and that's the same way that we've been. So, you know, we were importing, um, for, uh, for about five years paying direct trade prices. And then we were saying, you know, yeah, we're paying double the money f- of fair trade, but like, it's only going to a farmer. And this farmer has 30, 50, 100 people working for them. And like, how do we know that that money is getting to the people who actually pick the coffee? And so what we started doing is talking to those farmers saying, we want to interview your farm workers. Um, And so we interview as many farm workers as we can at each origin that we buy from. We buy from a very small amount of origins. And you're Um, public about it, too. We are. We're trying to be extremely transparent. And and we are trying to get more and more so Mm -hmm. very actively. Yeah. I think it's a good move. Um, I did too. I mean, we're like, it's the right thing to do. Number one. Right. Number two, like people are starting to care about that more and more. The world is very responsive to it now. Yes. Um, Before we wrap up, I want, I want you to talk about your personal initiative too, with the, with the coffee husk. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, so minutes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, um, I, I feel, um, very passionate about working for a company, um, that's doing good for the world. Um, personally, ever since I was in like, elementary school, I wanted to have a positive environmental impact. Like my, my fifth grade project was cleaning up a beach. You know, I hate seeing garbage everywhere, Mm -hmm. plastic everywhere. Um, it's like, there's like something like 500 billion takeout cups that get thrown away every year. Um, New York city doesn't have a cup swap program. Um, so in Australia, for example, there's a company called, um, I'm going to give them a little plug. They're called Husky cup. Yeah. Um, and the cups are made out of coffee husk. So it's a waste product at farm level. Um, then you take post-consumer plastic as well. Um, put those two products together. Um, you come up with a beautiful cup, um, that wins design awards. And also in Australia, it's used at about 500 cafes in a swap environment. So you don't have to take your dirty cup home and wash it. You can take your dirty cup back to the shop um, have it washed, sanitized. You that's can get like a fresh the, one. That's like the delivery zero thing. Which yeah. Is another friend of mine uh, same, trying to get on the show. Yeah. So. Same, same concept. Um, it, but, um, it's very important that we adopt this as an industry, right. this, this kind of concept, you know, like we can't just keep sending this endless stream of garbage out into the world. Like the food and beverage industry is, is a mess as far as that goes. And it's not improving much. Um, and so we launched I won't, this. I won't talk about your, your Facebook picture the other day. Oh uh, yeah. Was yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, but, we'll, but, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we need to address it. You know, yeah. um, we are at, a, at all of our cafes offering a cup swap program. Um, we have 11 cafes in New York. We're the first company to do this kind of thing. And we're hoping that it catches on to hundreds of other coffee companies in, in New York and in the U.S. And in the I, I hope to have an international yeah. impact by doing this. Boy. All right. That's yeah. can't finish a better way than that. So check it out. Think Coffee. Check out Tim. Look him up. He's a great dude. Uh, if you're interested in something like that for your company, he could certainly help. What's up, Ariana? We got to head out. We'll see you next Friday. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. Have a great weekend, everybody. Peace. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners, looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 